Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, Aphorism for July 21st. Be expansive in your sympathies. Don't limit, that, don't limit them to thoughts of I and mine. All men are God's children, so too are you. Be a stranger to no one. The joys and sorrows of all men are your own. Isn't that lovely? You know, I just have to say here, Swamiji absolutely refused in his life to give in to the idea that men was not the impersonal pronoun meaning men and women. Partly he just was too grammatically trained. He just couldn't bring himself to do it any other way. And he couldn't live with the awkwardness of saying men and women every time he said it. So he's he, he's written an apology, not exactly an apology, but a, an explanation here and there. Nowadays, actually, I know grammar is actually changing, but I don't want such a prejudice to prejudice you against Swamiji because he was the least gender-identified person I have ever known. And I, I told a story in one of, a couple of days ago in one of these aphorisms about him just being... He was gender... It wasn't merely that he was egalitarian. He was gender-blind. He just never thought of people. We're, we're men, we're women, we move in and out. The soul has no nature. However... We are all children of God, and we are all equally the same. I and mine is a very interesting concept. Swami would use that phrase a lot. Um, Master would talk about how, whereas marriage and family life can be expansive, it can also be what he called us for and no more, which is where we, we essentially expand the ego an inch. And then now we have four or five people that we consider mine, but it's still the same sense of, of limitation rather than seeing oneself or one's family sort of floating in a vast sea of brothers and sisters of God. And the, the conscious practice of, of seeing everybody as your own and you know, responding a, a, appropriately, it doesn't mean that you can you know, move everyone into your house necessarily or that you necessarily ought to, but that the feeling in the heart is, is not that this one is a stranger to me. Here's another even odder way of thinking about it. Um, supposedly, the Buddha said, and I, I have this through verbal, so I don't know where, where it's put, but he said, the reason you should be kind to everyone in the world is because somewhere in all your past incarnations, you've been close with everyone you meet. And the reason that you meet them again is because you've been close with them before. So we actually are literally just resuming relationships. We're not starting relationships. Toward the end of his life, Swamiji often commented it to, to a much greater degree, he said, than he'd felt before. Just wherever he was, he never felt like the people around him were strangers. And, and he said it wasn't, it wasn't like a philosophical idea, which is more or less what he's expressing here, they were all children of God. He just felt literally like he knew them all. They all looked familiar to him. They all looked like people he'd been associated with and had known before. Now, even 
before that period was so uh, dramatic for him. That was the way he always regarded people. For example, there was a young man who came to visit the meditation retreat in the early days there. And after he'd been at Ananda for a few days, there was an occasion in which he could speak to Swami Kriyananda. And he said to Swami, he said, I, I feel more love from the people here and from you speaking to Swami than I feel from my own family. He said, I, I've only been here a few days. How is that possible? You don't even know me. And Swami said, you're right. You know, I don't know you and we don't know you in the way that your family does. We don't know all the things about your upbringing. We haven't had all the experiences of your childhood with you because this was a young man speaking. You know, we don't know any of those. He said, but we see within you the presence of God whom we already love. And so what we're loving is not the personality and all the details, that we are already, our heart is already given to God, and God appears to us in a new form. We don't have to get to know him to love him. And we don't have to measure that because that's the reality that we're loving. And then, of course, the personality will form around it and the relationships will form around it. But the essential bond, what you really want to say is it's not personal in the sense that it's not based on limited self-definitions. The word impersonal does not mean without warmth or without commitment. It just means that it arises from a level that is not defined by the individual personality. It's also impersonal. What impersonal also means is that the one giving it is not trying to get something. You know, if if the love is personal, there's always a little piece of it that is thinking also about what's going to come back. In fact, uh, recently I was reading somewhere that... uh, let me just see if I have this correct. Oh, it was, it was Swami. I was reading the book about the Renunciate Order for a New Age. And he was talking about how uh, all human love has some degree of egoic involvement in it because it is offered from one individual to another individual if that consciousness is there at all. And I was thinking about the word prem in Sanskrit which is translated as the word love because in English we just have love. We can modify it. We can call it divine love. We can call it unconditional love. We can call it selfish love. We can call it self-serving love. But we have to modify the word. But the word prem, and we use it in English because we don't have English equivalent, means divine love. Impersonal, unconditional, divine love. And prem is something completely different than what we often call in English, love. Swamiji also wrote, because he's multilingual, he said, in Spanish, as he put it, they're more, they're more um, honest. I love you is, I want you. Te quiero. I want you. And that means I love you. And it, it's people who speak Spanish just say that, and they know what they mean by it. As Swami said, it's a more honest statement. There's, I want something. I want to be close to you. Even I want to serve you. Even I want to protect you. You know, I want to give to you. But there's a personal element where one ego-identified self is relating specifically to another ego-identified self. Now, I'm not condemning that. 
by any means. I mean, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Human beings are united together. Human love, perfectly expressed, Master said, is almost the same as divine love. We learn to love divinely by learning to love wherever love is drawn from us. And then we begin to understand that it's more blessed to give than to receive because it's more blissful. And from limited love, we gradually learn unlimited love. And and that's what we're working with. And Swami points out here that we can make that a deliberate practice. And it's really a great deal of fun to make it a deliberate practice. Whenever you go anywhere, just treat people as if you already know and like them instead of treating them like you're just meeting and you're just really not sure. I mean, the clerks you meet in the store, the waitress that comes to serve your table. I worked when I was in my early 20s, before I came to Ananda, uh, because I dropped out of college and I had no ambition and I didn't know what I was going to do. Sometimes I worked in retail stores because they were easy jobs to get. And I remember working in department store, different department stores, but I remember working in um, Bullocks or Buffums in Westwood Village in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, it was a pretty high, it was a high end department store. And if even one person, even one customer, actually related to me as if we were human beings together, it could it made your whole day. Just one person just crossed that line between. Do you have it in this in this size or that color? To oh look, there's someone just like me standing across the counter, and they didn't have to you know fall over talking to me or anything like that. They didn't have to confide in me. Nothing. It was vibrational. It was just a vibration of we're we're doing this, but we're doing it together. And I see you. I know who you are. You're you're just like me. That's what Swami says. I mine. You yours? What's what's the difference here? And having been on the receiving end of that, I also I, I mean I always and always have, I try as much as I can to find a way to be with people and to compliment them even, especially when you're when it's just a brief interaction. You know, how nicely you do that, what a pretty color shirt. And a lot of times these days, what beautiful nail polish you have on. You know, just whatever it might be. So all of a sudden we've changed the whole dynamic. And of course, they love it, but I love it too. Because then instead of just walking through this world being surrounded by strangers and always having to hold the borders of one's own being, you just realize who we are, where we are. We're together. No, not foolishly, and I'm really not suggesting foolishly. Because sometimes people's vibrations are disharmonious or their intentions are not pure. So I'm not asking, unless we have the power to uplift those vibrations. There's many stories told of Master where people would come to him with very ill intent, like literally a man coming to shoot him. And he just, you're, why do you live that way? You're not happy. That's what Master said. And he just flooded him with so much divine love, the gunman just put his gun away and fled. Here's a very funny story of one of our own Ananda people who was so powerful in that moment. Um, Ananta, I spoke with him earlier before. He's a, a, a colorful Ananda character living at Ananda Village now. But for a period of time, he, for many years, he ran the, he was in charge of the 
Ananda community in Sacramento. And our communities, urban communities, have been formed by, um, uh, in, in almost all cases, a group of sympathetic investors bought uh, an, apart, uh, an apartment complex and then leased it to the community to use as a community. And in several cases, including Sacramento, um, it was a bit run down, and that's why it could be afforded. And there were a lot of more transient characters who's, who were not so skillful in um, conducting their lives. Some of them even operated on the other side of the law or in one form or another. And we didn't exactly... Well, we did move people out. It was legal to do so, and we had ways of moving people out in a way that was helpful. They were transient anyway, I just have to say that. Well, some people took it kindly and some didn't. And one of the people, who I think was actually an active drug dealer who was going to have to be moved out of what was now the Ananta community, did not like it. Ananta is a big man. He's like about 6'5", and he's, he's a big person. And he's also fearless. That's the only word I can use. This man walked in with a gun in his hand, and he pointed it at Ananta's chest like this, because he was so mad about having to be kicked out of his apartment. Ananta opened his arms wide and he said, go ahead and shoot. You're still going to have to move out. (laughs) I mean, just perfect. It's like, you know, here we are, we're together. I'm just going to talk to you and I'm just going to tell you. That's what's going to happen. And so he didn't shoot. But, you know, if you're just... We're all the same in this. We're just all the same in this. You know, and try to feel what their real, people's reality is and think, what can I do? How can I help you? This is, you know, we all just struggle in this world and everybody struggles. And just a little bit of sympathy changes us. I remember in India when there were a lot of beggars. There's less beggars. You're, you're assaulted less by beggars there because I started going there more than 30 years ago. Everything ch- has changed. But, you know, the beggars would come, and you couldn't possibly give money to everyone. It was just unthinkable. I mean, you could just pour out. I had no fortune, and you could have poured out a fortune. But I remember I would just, I just wouldn't shy away from their reality. I wouldn't necessarily look them in the eyes, because sometimes that would lead to interactions you didn't want. But I would just expand my aura and to just realize these are just people just trying to make their own way. And my, my, my mantra became, Divine Mother, bless us all. And I, I found that even more powerful than saying, bless them. Just bless us all. We're all in this human journey together, and for this moment, we're walking side by side. Divine Mother, bless us all. And it just took away all the angst. You know, just like here we are, brothers and sisters in God, each with our own karma doing our best. So... Be expansive in your sympathies. Don't limit them to thoughts of I and mine. All men are God's children. So too are you. Be a stranger to no one. The joys and sorrows of all men are your own. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.